0: Two, one, two, three, four. We're married now. Let's party. I'm so tired. It's our honeymoon night. I need mean, more vodka. It's all over. We have our whole lives together. This is Hitched. I'm Alicia McCormack. I host another podcast called Bride Chiller in a lot longer form, but we are just smashing on and getting through everything you need to plan a wedding, all the information to get you started and make you relaxed and not panicked. it. So much to cover on this episode of Hitched. We're going to go sex, honeymoons, gift registry, wishing wells and how to deal with post-wedding blues. Special alert to all couples out there. If you don't have sex on your wedding night, that's absolutely fine. Oh, my God. Look, honesty system here. Rich and I did not bone on our wedding night. We were really freaking tired. Oh, my gosh. It was a 3 a.m., nine eyes, we had to be up again at about 8.30 because we stayed at a venue that also housed 15 of our friends and we decided to get up and have a little breakfast, a bit of hangover breakfast and there wasn't much time for sleeping. Also at the venue, we shared a wall, a very thin wall where you could hear this, (coughs) just like they were in the room uh, with my brother and sister-in-law and their baby and the idea of coming back to the room and even having quiet squeaky sex, gave me conniptions. So we went, look, there's plenty of other times to bone. We'll do it later. And to be honest, getting makeup off, unpinning my hair, which took about four and a half hours, it seems. I had a lot of bobby pins in that hair and got into bed. And I was just delighted just to sleep, to not have to be worrying about a wedding anymore and to be ready to kick on and have a honeymoon. I need a So many people feel this pressure to have sex on their wedding night. And originally, the wedding night sex was your first sexy time. It was potentially your virginity being lost. So I see why it was important because that was the consummation of the big day. There's a lot of history and tradition that I keep going back to about questioning why you're doing something, not just because you're doing it. A tradition starts and then is repeated over and over again for a reason. A lot of the traditions surrounding weddings are really patriarchal and a bit bullshit. So if you don't feel like you've got the energy, if you had a couple of champs, if you're tired, if you're dead on your feet, don't feel obliged to have mediocre, oh, let's just get it done sex, just because. Why don't you just wait for the next day and go bone crazy? There is absolutely no judgment. So, yes, my husband and I did have sex on our wedding night, though it was quite reluctant on my behalf. I'd eaten about half a potato the entire day and I was starving. So we compromised by him letting me eat a bag of chips at the same time. So we multitasked and then we went to sleep. Gifts. What are you going to ask for? Is it polite to ask for anything? Do you have expectations of how many gifts you'll be receiving? Who is going to give you the gifts? How are you going to ask for the gifts? And where is the appropriate place to put all this information. This is a very contentious issue when it comes to etiquette. As I've said in one of our earlier episodes of Hitched, The more traditional etiquette people say that you should never mention anything about gifts in your wedding invitation. I know in Australia, we're a little bit more lax with etiquette, especially in comparison to our American and British friends. And I personally think, as a guest, I would rather be told or advised or suggested – nicer words probably than told – where to go and shop for a gift or what people would like because there's nothing worse for me, I'm a busy woman, I've got things to do, than people just not giving any guidance at all and you're like, oh, what do I get these people? I haven't been to the house in five years. I'm an obligation guest. What do I get them? So for me personally, if they say, hi, we've registered at David Jones or we have an online honeymoon registry, I personally would rather just contribute the funds or buy them the towels they would like or whatever than have to hunt for a gift. Now, saying that, the suggestion of contributing to a gift registry or purchasing something that they've suggested they might like, that does not mean as a guest that you can't go rogue and just buy them something that you like. One of my favourites is a Nottolenghi cookbook because they're really nice recipes. They look great. And for the non-chefy cookie people, they look great on a bookshelf or on a coffee table. Very fancy. Make sure you write in the books before you give them. I think they're really nice. I'm definitely for wishing wells for weddings. I think as long as they're tastefully done, um, but I think it's fine these days to say that there's a wishing well there. I think sometimes it's good to have um, a registry option as well to have both so that people who feel funny about money can choose something for the from the registry. What I don't agree with is, and this happened when we got invited to a wedding from a friend of ours who were renovating their house and they set up a bank account and sent photos of a horrendous pink bathroom that they were renovating and asked everybody to deposit cash into a bank account for their bathroom renovation. It depends if you pay for everybody to eat, then you get a wishing well. If you're not paying for everyone to eat and they're paying for themselves and you're just covering the bar. You don't get a wishing well. It all depends on what you're forking out. If I do choose to get married, I will already have accumulated a lot of things. So I wouldn't expect people to give me anything because obviously there's a lot of cost coming to a wedding. But if they would like to give me something, then I'll have a wishing well available. When it comes to the wishing well, ugh, I'm sorry, everyone. I fucking hate the wishing well. They are gross. And there are so many other ways that you can ask for money or ask for contributions. And, you know, look, it is a big discussion point on any wedding forum, Bride chiller community. Every couple of weeks, we get someone saying, hi, how do I ask for money? And everyone kicks off, no matter where you are. <laughs> it's one of those topics that some people go, it's disgusting to ask for money. And other people are like, oh, I asked for money. I got no problem. I personally do not have an issue contributing funds as a gift, but I don't like the crappy, wooden, spotlight, wishing well and putting an envelope of cash in them. I think they're really impersonal. I f***ing hate the poems, the rhyming poems that people use. So what do you get for the bride and groom whose house needs things in every room? When shopping for a present, please don't be rash as the option is there to just give them cash. They make me want to vomit. I think there are much easier ways to do it and also... Be really aware of the placement of that table or that area and make sure it's in the sight of the rest of your guests or have someone be the table monitor and just make sure it's packed up at the end of the day, night, and that you get all that stuff. Or also talk to a wedding planner or coordinator or venue coordinator and just say, where is the most safe place to put this stuff? I don't want to think the worst of people, but people are shit and will take advantage of you. And I've read some terrible stories about things being knocked off. So just just be aware, but don't be alarmed. Aware, but don't be alarmed. Check out this tip. If you are looking for solutions to asking for cash, you can use a registry like notanothertoaster.com. They're a very simple drag and drop website. You can create your own registry and create experiences or events. You can upload photos. You can put links to things. So if you want a honeymoon registry or you want to buy a new couch or you're doing your kitchen up or whatever, you can put all the information there and your guests can log on and select how much they want to contribute. Then later on, after the honeymoon or the event is done, you can go back and say, Hey, thanks, Auntie Marjorie, for fing 10 bucks, you tight ass. Don't ever do that. It's nice that Auntie Marjorie made an effort to come, although she's a total asshole. A lot of modern couples might have lived together before. Perhaps you've been in a relationship for a long, long time and you don't need stuff and you would rather go on a holiday, or you'd rather buy something special for the house. I think it's perfectly reasonable to be honest about that. People don't want to be spending their money on crockpots and things that you're never going to use, or you will have to find a cupboard to put them in, which if you live in a city, is really freaking annoying. Cupboard space is precious. You don't need extra stuff. So just think about what you need. Think about how you want to ask for it and maybe bounce the wording off a couple of people and say, is this the appropriate way? There's so many different guides online about how to ask for things without seeming needy. And also, don't expect your guests to buy you a gift. If people are traveling A long way if they are making an extra special effort to go to a destination wedding. I think you should be grateful if people are willing to give you a gift, but you shouldn't just expect it. It's totally up to them if they contribute. And remember, their presence is their present. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. There is a general sort of idea if you look at a wedding magazine or lots of wedding blogs that people have to go on a honeymoon and let's be honest here, if you're paying for your own wedding, a lot of the time you've spent all your money on the wedding and have nothing left to spend on a honeymoon. I know lots of couples who have said, look, we'll go on a honeymoon next year and also extend our love festival for a whole year and that's great. I don't think the expectation, like maybe you'd see in a 60s movie, is that you would leave directly from the wedding reception. You do a little change of clothes into a sexy little onesie or something and a hat and you'd wave at your guests and uh, take off on a holiday. I don't think that really happens very much anymore anymore. So when you're thinking about honeymoons, don't feel like you have to book something that leaves immediately afterwards. You need to work with what you've got in your budget, what time you've got off work. Often that's a big factor as well. And also how much money you have to spend on it. Like the whole ethos that I've been pushing the last 10 episodes of this podcast, you shouldn't feel obliged to do anything. This is your honeymoon, this is your wedding, your money, and if you aren't the sort of people that want to go on a five-star, five-day, $20,000 honeymoon with a butler, don't do it. If you want to go on a round-the-world trip, backpacking, with the <laughs> probably worth the same amount of money as that five-day trip, that's a great opportunity to go and really spend some time with your partner and enjoy travel. If you are planning to pay for your own honeymoon, make sure you work the cost of the honeymoon into your full wedding budget. Be aware of how much money you've got to spend and plan ahead. If you are a frequent flyer member of all of the different programs, you could collect and use your frequent flyer points. We paid for all our flights and part of our accommodation because we used an Amex card that gave us Qantas frequent flyer points. And then we paid for all of our wedding booze with Dan Murphy's, which also gave us points. And then by the end of it, we'd accrued a bunch of extra Qantas frequent flyer points and managed to get our return flights for our honeymoon for free, air quotes. It's not really free. You've paid for it, but it's cheaper. Also consider taking red-eye and early morning flights. These are easy ways to get cheaper fares. And also look up the term travel hacking. It's my favourite thing to read all the ways people are super cheap but clever when it comes to booking flights and also using credit card points. It's a whole other 50 million podcasts I could make about travel hacking but it's such an interesting world and there are so many forums where people are giving away their tips and really staying in some amazing places for very little money. Check out this tip. If you're looking to save a little bit of money when you are planning your honeymoon you've got to think laterally. VRBO and Airbnb are obviously getting more and more popular. That is where people list their homes or apartments and you can hire them Maybe you have joined Airbnb and VRBO is like, I would describe it as like our parents' version of Airbnb, and actually, sometimes the properties are a bit nicer. We've hired from both companies, they're great. Just make sure you read the reviews. And lastly, join a holiday or home swap community online. There are a bunch of them. Homelink.org has been running since 1953, it's the oldest home swap. Website now, it used to be a book that you would have to write away and get. But they have home swap people in 27 different countries. And at the time that I researched, they had about 15,000 properties online. And it means that if you're staying somewhere, it means that you can swap your house with someone else's home either in Australia or overseas and it can be a really nice way to see the world and not have to pay for anything as long as you're happy for someone else to come and stay in your home. It can be an amazing deal and also give you the opportunity to visit somewhere you might not have visited before. Post-wedding blues. This is actually one of those things that I think was invented by bullshitty wedding magazines but actually is true. When I've been performing in the past, and I'm sure anyone that has something that they're looking forward to or working towards, and then you pour your life into it, it becomes your total existence, and then it's not there anymore. It's over. You can feel a bit lost, a bit bored, like you're supposed to be doing something, but you don't have to. And it can be overwhelming. And also having this thing to look forward to, especially a wedding where it's about you, you're being pampered, you're investing a lot of time and emotional energy into planning this thing, and then it's not there anymore. It can feel a bit weird. So one of the things I think you should do is to plan ahead. And this doesn't have to be a big thing, but to say, all right, we're coming back from the honeymoon or we're coming back from our wedding Let's make sure we have some dinners booked with friends and catch up after the wedding or or go back to doing regular exercise or join a sporting team. Fill some of the hours that you may have spent planning a wedding. And in opposite, you might just enjoy doing nothing because especially in the lead up to the wedding, whether you have a lot of help or not, It does become busy and your mind is often having to work at wedding planning and going to a full-time job and doing all the other life things that carry on when you are planning an event. And it's just nice to chill out and see your other person and talk about normal things and watch Netflix and whatever. So I do think to just be aware, it's absolutely normal to feel that like, Something might be missing. And also going back to when I used to do comedy festival shows, you just spent all your life doing that and planning for it. And then when it wasn't there, I would always get sick. Get ready for that. Look after yourself. A lot of echinacea. Be healthy. But I would also sort of go, oh, my God, I forgot what it's like not to feel stressed. And that in itself is a very modern problem. And it's something you have to be aware of. So just look after yourself. Make sure you have lots of time with each other and enjoy not having to think about checklists, budgets, Arnie, Marjorie, and all the other things that come along. After my wedding, I got really depressed. I went on my honeymoon two days after my wedding, and then when I got back from my honeymoon and I had to go back to work, I just started feeling really sad, and to the point where I couldn't think what was wrong with me. I was trying to think, why do I feel this way? And then I started Googling whether post-wedding depression was an actual thing and there was quite a few articles about it because for I me mean, I planned my wedding for roughly eighteen months. So I had, you know, eighteen months of doing really fun things and, and planning and having something huge to look forward to. But it's definitely a real thing. And so I guess my advice would be to just plan something good. Plan a holiday, plan a big birthday, do something, give yourself a little project, whether it's a little renovation or get pregnant or do something do something exciting are you going to change your surname after you get hitched maybe you haven't thought about it maybe it's an instant thing and you're like absolutely Alicia of course I'm gonna take my partner's name but for many bride chillers and modern women this is a topic that can, really be challenging to come to some sort of conclusion. Because I know for me, I had a lot of my identity attached to my name. I wasn't sort of jumping out of my skin to change my name. And I had to think about it a lot. And I actually came to a bit of a compromise. Rich was certainly not pushy saying, take my name. You must be Mrs. Maddock. But I was McCormack originally, still am. And I sort of said, here's the thing. I would love for us to be a bit of a family unit and for me this is I will change my name legally, but then I'll also keep my name McCormack professionally. And for me that was it worked really well. I was happy that I could still work under the name that I've been using professionally for years. But also it was a really nice thing to have a new surname and feel like we're creating a new family. Now, so many people, you read about this Everyone's got a different opinion. It can be a bit of a shit show if you put anything into a forum. People are very full on when it comes to the name changing thing, especially when it's connected to feminism. And I really think it's absolutely up to you. It shouldn't be something that anyone else decides. It should be a conversation you have with your partner and you should feel comfortable with it a lot of dudes go, well, of course they're going to change their name because that's what they do at the wedding. And they would never think about it because they've never had to make that decision. So I really do think it's a personal decision and it shouldn't be seen if you don't want to change your name as you not being committed and you not wanting to create a family or any of that other sort of bullshit. I think that's a really easy fallback for a lot of guys and in-laws to sort of say, well, what do they have a problem with our name? Why do they not want to be part of our family? Which is not at all a part of that decision-making process. It does not mean you're not committed. It means that you should make the decision. And as a strong female, that is up to you. Time for the... F- the end of wedding send-off. Oh, my God. It's one of those things that as a guest, I'm always like, oh, my, are we doing this? Okay. If you're unsure what the hell I'm talking about, picture this. It's at the end of the wedding and the MC or the organiser says, everyone gather around in a circle. The bride and groom or the groom and groom and bride and bride, they're leaving. And then they're like all clapping and they play the music and then they go around and hug everyone. Or the weirdest thing, and it's very Australian and it's very primary school, is where they ask people, I I hate even talking about this, they ask their guests to line up across from one another and then they create like a tunnel with their hands and then the couple runs through the f***ing tunnel and then as a guest I'm like why are we doing this this is so naff but people are like yay we're in crack great time I'm like are you on crack I don't know if crack would make you want to do that I don't, I've never done crack but it's like what are you doing it's like yay go and have sex now or don't just see you later bye I'm just not into the official send off. I'm more into the couple ghosting everyone and they just f*** off and you don't know if they've left or not and then you just continue to drink and then they kick you out of the venue. That to me is my ideal end to a wedding. Look, parents. It seems to be a parent thing, an in-law thing, where they're like, "You have to do the send-off. You've got to do the official goodbye." It's just slow, and at this stage, I'm like literally making the tunnel while holding my phone, getting an Uber. I mean, I just, I don't like it. I am a cynical old bag, sometimes a little hard, and I realise this might be something you really want to do, and I don't judge you for it. just stand and wave. We'll have the DJ go, okay, they're going to go and phone now. Bye. And everyone claps and waves and whatever. But don't make people stand in a circle. And don't make people make a tunnel out of their hands. That shit, my friends, is going in the f*** it bucket. Don't just do something because it's tradition, especially if it doesn't suit your taste. Whether that is having sex on the wedding night or having a band or a DJ or wearing a garter. Ugh, they're so gross do what you want to do not because you feel like you should do it because someone did it 200 years ago if you would like to include a tradition but it doesn't match your ethos or style change it make it your own tradition start a new trend Gift registries are cool, but just make sure if you're not comfortable adding the information in with your invitation that you list the info somewhere else, like a wedding website or a Facebook group. I don't know. There are lots of modern ways to communicate this, but make sure if you are asking your guests to contribute to a gift registry, a fund, that you are able to give them the information so they know what to do. Let's just ditch the motherfucking wishing wells and the poems. Just because you make something rhyme and you've got it off Pinterest, does not make it cool. If you want cash, ask for cash in a nice way by asking your guests to contribute to a gift registry or an experience. Don't just ask for cash. I think it's weird. If you want to change your name after your wedding, there are so many options and ways to do it. You might hyphenate, you might not change at all, you might want to make up a whole new name. Lots of people do that actually. Don't feel pressured. Do what you want to do. Make sure the decision's something that you really feel happy about. You don't want to get 20 years down the line and go, gee, I like my original name. Why did I do that? Don't do it. Honeymoons are great, but not all of us can afford the time and the money to do it directly after the wedding or do it at all. If you want to invest in a honeymoon and you want to do it 12 months down the track, that's great. Have more time to save money and leave from work is also another big factor. Make sure you go somewhere you actually want to go and don't feel like you have to just go to a resort and lie around. If you really like rock climbing and swimming in waterholes, do whatever you want to do, but don't feel pressured to have to do it the day after the wedding. Well, there you go. Hitched. 10 episodes, a lot of information, and hopefully by now you have a bit of an idea about how to plan your wedding and keep your chill. Remember, a wedding is about you celebrating your love and affection and fellow weirdness with another person. It can be whatever you want it to be, so don't feel like you have to follow Pinterest and Instagram trends or what a wedding magazine says you have to do, because that's all really bullshit be mindful of your time and value how much energy and money you're putting into the event all of this stuff can be stressful and it's really important that you're aware of your own mental health and those around you and looking after your body making sure that you're healthy and happy and not just doing stuff because you feel like you should be doing it and lastly my biggest piece of advice is stop comparing your wedding to other people's weddings this is your day, you've got your own personality, no one's like you and you shouldn't have to feel like you have to be doing things because other people are doing it. Be an individual and be a bride chiller and plan the wedding you want, not what your mum wants. I have had such a delightful time sharing this wedding insights with you. If you would like to connect with me and what I do, you can find my books at BrideChillerStore.com and please join the BrideChiller community on Facebook. We've got lots of like-minded, level-headed ladies and gents who are also planning their wedding. And that's another thing. Find a community that works with you. Use that information and support and don't be afraid to ask for help. We are all Wonder Women. But wonder women succeed when they get help from other people. This podcast was produced by the fabulous, oh, they're sitting right here, so I have to say it, gorgeous Rachel Corbett and Liza Ratliff and me, Alicia McCormack. This is Hitched and we hope you have a fabulous wedding planning experience. And we'll see you at mamamia.com.au.